Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 MBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Uh, it is the evening of October 12th, uh, Friday night. You will be listening to this on Saturday, October 13th. Um, this is our final, final division preview. Corbin, first of all, how Ooh. are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing good, man. We found training camp's over. This is it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We've we, talked we made about it. this. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of funny that we're recording our last division preview on the last night of the preseason. I think awesome. I think it's the last night of the preseason. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, think it is. Sure it is. Um, yeah. It's kind of fitting. Um, so yes, last division preview. We're, we're wrapping things up. Back to the Western Conference. Back uh, at the Pacific Division. Um, again, taking a look at all these teams, and let's start with. The defending champions, the Golden State Warriors, um, their over-under is 62, but we'll get to that after we talk a little bit more about some of their storylines, if there are any really significant ones. But their offseason was fairly eventful for a, t- for a team that, that's coming off a championship um, and is at this kind of caliber because they were able to add DeMarcus Cousins, obviously, due to his injury and you know the fact that he didn't accept, I think it was a two-year, $40 million offer from the Pelicans, um, which, was, which happened during the season, I think they offered him that. Um, he was actually, he signed for, I think it was like the mid-level exception, like 5.5 million or something like that. Something, some kind of absurd level. But again, he's not going to be able to play. I think most indications are that he's going to miss at least the first two or or three months of the season and probably even more as they kind of be extremely cautious with him. Because again, this team, A, does not have to win in the regular season and B, um, they don't really need DeMarcus Cousins. So, you know, they had DeMarcus Cousins. They signed Jonas Jarebko, who can, you know, fill in some minutes in the front court. And they drafted Jacob Evans, who projects to have, a, a, I guess, a bigger role than some rookies would because this team really didn't address any of their kind of wing and backcourt depth, which, is, which continues to be shaky as the years go on, as guys continue to age. Andre Godala, Sean Livingston, Patrick McCall's not on the team as he rejected. Um, he's still a restricted free agent. Um, so, you know, last season... They were the second offense and ninth defense per cleaning the glass. And just a reference, all the stats that I mentioned will be from cleaning the glass. So that's why they're probably a little bit different if you go to check the NBA's actual website. Um, so some storylines. I mean, I already kind of mentioned one. Like the key one is that it's just all about the playoffs for this team. So that means they're going to coast during the regular season. Um, that means they're going to be really, really careful with any injured players they have. They're going to rest some players during a few games during the, the real grind of the 82 game season. And like I said, they're probably going to hold Boogie out for maybe longer than he really needs in order to get fully back to 100%. Um, but that is the second storyline because we all know what the Warriors are at this point, obviously. We all know who Steph Curry is, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, etc. Um, the second storyline is, is when does Boogie come back and, and more importantly, how does he look? Um, because he is, the, he is the wild card to their season, in, in, which, in which case it's like he's like the only interesting thing, I guess. Like at this point... But outside of him and, and maybe, you know, another interesting subplot would be, you know, the young guys like Jacob Evans, maybe Jordan Bell getting a bigger role or something like that, um, especially with Boogie not playing for the start of the season. That's another storyline, I guess. But in terms of like the top end talent, how does Boogie Cousins look after he comes back from that Achilles injury? Because that's an injury that really can kind of derail careers, especially for big men. Um, and the way the Warriors play, they haven't had a, a guy like Boogie Cousins on their roster, you know, during this run. So does he potentially impact their chemistry or their style of play with his with his desire for post ups? Um, we talked about it in the off season when the signing happened about how he's actually going to be one of their better floor spacers and three point shooters um, yeah. because you know outside of the Splash Bros and Kevin Durant, 
there's some really there's really some shaky shooting shooters I should say shaky shooters on this roster and and Boogie was a, was a you know really under the radar shooter especially from that center position last season. Um, I, I guess there's a concern or a doubt of if he's ever going to return to that pre-injury level of play. I would doubt it, honestly. Just the way he played, I'm not sure I will be able to get to that level because of this injury. But, you know, you get a, an 80% DeMarcus Cousins added to this team if he buys into the way the way they play and, and you know, doesn't impact the locker room chemistry. And that adds a, a whole other uh, floor to this team's ceiling, I guess. And then I guess, other, you know, other teams... Um, you know, quickly, other teams, I guess, are, are hoping that he just kind of jacks their style of play and wants all these posts. Basically, I think other teams are hoping that he's like a Dwight Howard to, to their team. Oh, yeah. We um, so need it. Not we, but NBA fans so want that to happen. Some of them. A certain segment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the teams, I mean, I, I'm sure like Daryl Morey and, and the Celtics and the Raptors and all the other, you know, OKC, it's all hoping that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is really focused on more of himself and getting those numbers. Um, but We'll see. I mean, he'll have time not playing to see how successful they are without him and how they play. And obviously, he's had a full off season to get integrated with the teammates and in the locker room. And I think there was an understanding when they brought him in. Like, we're bringing you in because, you know, you can add something to the team and give us, a, 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 you know, inside presence that we haven't had during this run. But there's an understanding that you will buy into the way we play, obviously. And, and as a result, you will most likely get a get a championship ring. So I think that those are the two mm-hmm. really main storylines that I've identified centered around Boogie Cousins, basically the only significant change for this team. Oh, yeah, that's to me the one and only true storyline that anyone really cares about, myself included. I do want to say something. We're never going to get back to this. I mean, so I want to say I am happy to live in a world, and I'm just putting on record, where you know someone like Bradley Beal can say that Jeff Green plays in any way, shape, or form like LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I had to say I've been waiting all day. I just had to get out. Like, what a world. I love the NBA. I love it. Okay, but back to DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's intriguing, to, for sure. They're going to need him, I think, in certain series. I think watching the Rockets-Warriors um, playoff series, Clint Capella showed that he can stay on the floor. Um, so having Cousins there helps them because they could get away. I mean, Cousins, I think, survives those big versus big lineups. He's one person who, yeah, he's susceptible to switches and the like, but he gives so much on that offensive end. You know, as a floor stretcher, as a as a distributor, he averaged five assists per game as a center last year. Oh, just over that. Um, as someone who, who for the most part, can kind of stay on the floor, that gives the Warriors a look that they really haven't had. I mean, they've did this platoon of bigs with Jordan Bell, Kevon Looney, Damian Jones last year, Javel McGee. Now minus. JaVale McGee, and so you still have them, but in certain stages, you know, those guys are too inexperienced or a little undersized and don't have the savvy yet to really stick with these guys, and they've gotten away with having Draymond Green and Kevin Durant at the five in spots, but that could be kind of shaky, you know, especially with Durant, where he's, you know, more or less, he, he can play physical, but he's not exactly that, that type of player. Um, Draymond Green is definitely a great person there, but you really don't want to have him at the five full-time so it's going to be something to, to look at i'm interested in that but also teams like philly um toronto and boston also play big guys at the five where that's a totally different look and can work i, I think another storyline is just and you kind of mentioned a little bit the boredom aspect i mean for my for or specifically i think boredom aspect because this is a rough western conference having the marcus cousins brings that jolt of you know it's a different voice i mean we talk about the negative side where he comes in just train wrecks their chemistry. You know, him and Draymond have that fight that Draymond seemed to have predicted. Um, things just go horribly wrong. Kevin Durant says, you know what, I'm taking my talents to, you know, somewhere else, whatever. But at the same vein, it could also give a, an additional unexpected upside because you have someone who's comes from a culture of losing. I mean, horrible times in Sacramento. Um, he got traded to New Orleans the last half of last year and 
or the year before now we're talking. And, you know, they didn't make the playoffs that year. He comes in, plays really well, gets injured, and they make the playoffs and he wasn't playing. They do better with him off the court than they did on the court. So to have a player like DeMarcus, who's on a team that, you know, by all accounts is a lock for, you know, a definite finals appearance and, and possibly a thing to win it all, having someone who's motivated, who's going to keep a fire under this team just by force of personality, and also because he hasn't won. He hasn't been on a team before like this where – this was already a stacked great team, whether or not DeMarcus Cousins was there and healthy, much less where he is in his position now. I think that gives them an extra little bit of um, motivation, you know, because they're at the, t- the part now where almost like the Lakers were in the mid, um, early 2000s where we'll win one for um, Ron Harper and let's win one for this guy, you know, just giving guys who've been in the NBA for like a decade and a half rings because the motivation wasn't there. They were going to get to the finals and they were going to beat the weak Eastern Conference team that was there. So I think that's, that's a byproduct there. But there's really, surprisingly, not a whole lot of, of news and juice and intrigue to, to, to milk out of this team. There, there just isn't. Jonas Jerebko, you know, emergency guy. How will Andre Godala and Sean Livingston play as they age? Because it is catching up to them. Does that mean the death lineup is over with, you know, with, if Andre Godala is at limited effectiveness? It, that, that's really all the storylines I could come up with. They're not really storylines. They're more like subplots. Quinn Cook, backup point guard, you know, extra shooting. Can they survive with the with the the shooting they have in the front court? I mean, not the front court, the starting lineup, and then the lack thereof relatively across the board, you know, in their reserves. Th- those are just additional little points I found. But, yeah, it's going to be um, – it's almost exciting to watch them and also boring. Like, at least Cleveland had inner turmoil to guide them <laughs> to their, you know, four and a half or four straight finals runs, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's always like – if you enjoy good basketball, like you're always going to enjoy watching the Warriors because the ball movement and, and the Splash Brothers and just you know Kevin Durant's brilliance and their ability to do this death lineup small ball that really is just kind of taking the league by storm over the past couple of years. But in terms of like if you want a game where it's like you don't know who's going to win or it's you know somewhat competitive throughout, you know you're probably not going to be you're probably not going to get that when you watch the Warriors. Um, I do th- I agree that Boogie adds that kind of layer of, of intrigue when he comes back, whatever month that is could be december could be january maybe even february who knows honestly how, how long they for may right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean so you know that adds another layer of like when he comes back i think a lot of people tune in to see how he looks um how he fits into the team because at that point they would have had probably at least two months of, of basketball without him playing their style of play and obviously they can <laughs> tell him like what to do they can have him practice before he gets back on the court in their system and their style of play but until we see it on the court and during game settings and maybe it's a close fourth quarter and he's not playing um because if they want to go to their death lineup and switch everything if he's not playing that time you know what does a player of that caliber with that kind of name um and that reputation do in that moment i think is another layer of intrigue um and could have some drama but all accounts are that they have you know, they've been able to control all their drama in the locker room. They haven't really had any, I guess. Um, yeah. And this team, this coaching staff, and the, and the star players, and, I mean, they, they're going for a three-peat. They're going for fourth championship in five years. Like, they know. Like, if Boogie's not cooperating, they'll just either bench him or just get rid of him. Like, they don't need yeah. him. That's, that's, like, why it's such a low-risk, somewhat high-reward move for them. Um, I think that there's, like, a, a quiet subplot that could emerge of, like, if there are so, slowly any quiet, you know, creeping like indications that KD would be like you know like those things like social media teasers like he likes something about New York City or something like that um Mm -hmm. I feel like it'll be hard to monitor um 
and it'll probably be covered up and probably won't be expressed. And, you know, everyone's going to ask him questions. During the, I mean, oh, my God, I'm already sick of hearing, oh, this player is going to team up with this player in New York or this player is going to go be the second fiddle, you know, with LeBron in L.A. I'm already sick of hearing, like, these guys are going to leave. Oh, yeah. like, can we please just enjoy the upcoming regular season and stop talking about free agency for, like, a couple of weeks or, you know, a couple of months. I mean, you know, we, the we all, in the future, bro, we all living in 2019. Where are you at, bro? Already. Back in modern times. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I feel like sometimes there are some clear signs, like when a free agent is just ready to leave. Um, and I, I don't think there will be the signs with KD because they're going to be winning. He's going to be putting out his numbers, probably have another championship. But I feel like maybe if you want to add, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm kind of like, grasping at ways to add more intrigue to this Warriors team. Um, maybe yeah. just like someone monitoring K- possible KD indications that he's leaving in free agency. But other than that, and other than Boogie, this team is just going to steamroll to the regular season. They're going to coast a lot. Um, and they're most likely going to win another championship. I'm picking the under uh, on 62. Uh, I, just because I don't, there's no motivation. Uh, I feel like they're going to take it easy with any players that get injured, take it easy with Boogie. They'll probably rest, you know, every now and then. Um, I think they could easily, I think they should be able to win the West, you know, with anywhere from 59 to 61 wins. So I don't think there's any real motivation for them to win more than 62 games this season. Last year they won 58. I think they're going to win anywhere from, you know, 58 to like 61. And I'm going to go in the under. Oh, yeah, I'm taking under as well. I'm giving a little more credit to the tougher Western Conference. Not really speaking about Houston in this case, but just overall in general. Lack of motivation plus tougher competition leads me to take the under. One thing to watch, not really huge important, but the all-time NBA three-point list, Steph Curry is currently at in seventh place at 2,129 threes made, which is crazy already, all-time. Um, just above him is Paul Pierce at 2,143, and then Jamal Crawford at 2,153. You can expect Stephen Curry to pass them within the first 20 games. I, I mean, easily. Kyle Korver's still around, and I'm going to give him some credit because he he has another, basically, I want to say 80 over Steph Curry, and he'll probably hit you know a pretty decent clip up in Cleveland. He's going to get the playing time, but that is something to see. Steph Curry could possibly crack, well, not possibly. He will crack top five with within the year, and he'll probably give Kyle Korver a run for his money just in terms of sheer volume and the amount of time he plays to get that number four spot before it's all said and done. I, I, it, that that in itself is crazy. And honestly, if we're if we're being completely honest here, Steph's hit, what, 200 plus three, six straight seasons now? I think it's something like that. Yeah, let me look it up. Yeah, something like that. He's at 2,129. Jason Terry's at 2,282. Like, and Jason Terry's third. It's kind of crazy to think of the leaps and bounds Steph Curry can make. I'm not saying he's going to get Jason Terry, but, like, it's crazy to think about it. So Curry last year played 51 games and hit 212 threes. Um, he oh he hasn't hit less than 261 threes in a season since 2013-14. Yep, I um, thought so. So, I mean, listen, he's not going to probably play the 79, 79, 80, 78, 78 games that he played in these past five years, not counting last year. Um, mm-hmm. But if he plays like 70 games, he's probably he's pretty much good for, you know, like, 275 to anywhere to like 300 threes this season. Yeah, and and that puts him right up there just under third place. Like, that's crazy. I mean, the only person who can even give any resistance at this point is Kyle Korver because, you know, newsflash, Jamal Crawford was uh, with Suns management today. Oh, my goodness. But either way, he's not going to get the playing time or the attempts to really make an impact there. Jason Terry's probably done, and it's really just Kyle Korver who's the last chance of anyone holding back, you know, Steph Curry from – climbing that top two seed. Anyway, it's just something I looked up that I thought was interesting and a little extra to watch with Golden State since really, I mean, 
you see the intrigue here. We we found, somehow managed to eke out a good decent amount of time though. So. I know. And let's move on to a former <laughs> former Warriors rival. Remember when the Warriors and Clippers had a rivalry? Um, oh goodness. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Los Angeles Clippers. So their off season was somewhat eventful. Um, they drafted Shai Gilgis Alexander uh, and Jerome Robinson in back to back picks in the first round. They traded Austin Rivers for Marcin Gortat. They re-signed Luke Mavamute, who was on the Clippers two years ago. Um, and they signed Mike Scott. And they also re-signed Avery Bradley and Montrez Harrell. Um, so a fairly eventful offseason for, for this team that missed out on the playoffs last year. Last season, they had the eighth offense and the 19th defense. Um, and I guess a key storyline for this team is that there's a lot of quality depth on this team. But the real question is, you know, is there just enough to be a playoff team in the Western Conference? I mean, if you if the Clippers were in the East, they'd probably be a top, what, six seed? I mean, um, but you put them in the West, and I just don't know if there's enough top-end talent that's going to lead the way on a nightly basis. Because, they're, you know, they're pretty much too deep at every position. Um, I think that you can kind of have some question about the uh, wing depth, especially behind a guy like Danilo Gallinari. Um, I mean... There's guys that can contribute here and there, but you know who knows if Wes Johnson's even on this roster come the regular season time because this team needs to cut down their roster um, to 15. I think right now they're at 18, um, so that could leave Wes Johnson kind of on the outside looking in, which even will even you know hurt their wing depth even more. And then you know Gallinari is good to miss you know at least like 30 games a year at this point with um, a butt injury or something. Yeah, I mean, but but the thing is like Beverly and Avery Bradley also still have those those injury concerns as well, and you know they're in the backcourt, but still. They, they have the depth to kind of make up for it, um, especially at the guard position. I mean, my God, their backcourt is just stacked with Beverly, Gilgis Alexander, Milos Teodosic, Ty Wallace, Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, Jerome Robinson. Like, that, they have so much backcourt depth. Obviously, a bunch of those guys are young and probably won't contribute to winning. Um, but they can make up for some of the injuries. But if they miss a guy like Beverly for, like, 30 games, if they miss a guy like Gallinari for, like, 30 games, if they miss Bradley for that kind of amount of time or something like that, that puts a lot of pressure on, A, younger backcourt pieces, and, B, you know, some suspect depth in certain spots, and obviously a lot more pressure on a guy like Tobias Harris, who's primed for a career year. But mainly, he'll benefit from having those other, you know, quality starters on on the floor with him and not these young rookies or these kind of suspect depth pieces on their roster. So they've got a lot of depth, and it's, it's pretty high-quality depth, you know, basically at every position. But the question is... Can they rely on the rookies enough to contribute to winning basketball? And is there enough top-end talent to be a playoff team in the Western Conference after they didn't make it last year? Yeah, it, it, it definitely. That's big. I think – I didn't mention this earlier, but <laughs> I feel kind of bad. A while back we were talking about, you know, top five lead pass teams. The Clippers are up there for me just because they have a lot of, you know, blue-collar role-player type. You know, they, they, I, think, I don't think anyone there is a star. It's kind of crazy to think that just 18 months ago – you know, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan were all there, and now and now they're all gone, and, and this is how they're working with. But it, it, the Clippers, they tried it with stars. It, they met their ceiling, and now they're trying to rehaul it here. There's some interesting pieces, as you already mentioned, and, and there's certain players I'm interested in seeing, you know, how they'll play. You mentioned, or it was on our actual, by the way, plug, follow 94 feet, report, 94, oh my God, follow 94 <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. There was a great question up by your um, Eric Spropolis here about – six men of the year candidates and and who would be, you know, at the top of the board so far before the season starts. And I'm interested in seeing how Lou Williams comes at it. He's defied it again and again as far as, oh, you know, I'm not sure he'll be there this year. He's literally been a topic. He was almost a borderline all-star this past season. And that was with injuries and everything going on. He can – he's a walking bucket. 
And he's on a team that will showcase the scoring. So can he bring that back? He's, what, 32? Age is going to catch up eventually. But at this point, he has a system that really gives him the freedom to do whatever he wants with the ball, which he didn't really have, you know, in L.A. or any of his other stops, really, to, to really be a playmaker and facilitator, just have the floor in that in that respect. As far as Danilo Gallinari and Patrick Beverly, you know they're going to miss a bunch of games. If they play 60, you know, a piece, that, that's great. But it's still a talented roster. I think Tobias Harris, I don't know if he's a star. I heard the Clippers offered him $80 million for five years. I don't know if I'd do more than that personally. Um, but he's he's still a great player. I don't think you know he's he's had the chance to really showcase that other than this past two years you know, in Detroit and L.A. So this will be a big year for him. Martian Gortat, I'm actually interested to see because he just needed to change his scenery. He was in a toxic environment in Washington. Him and John Wall going back and forth I think is different in L.A. because he brings more offensively than DeAndre did. But at 35 and slipping, he obviously brings less on the defensive end, even with DeAndre, you know, battling, quote unquote, um, you know, age related decline. So it's still a downgrade. There's still some there's still some pieces. And I like Montrezl Harrell as a starter. But the problem is this. I give Montrezl Harrell the Patty Mills treatment. He's a high energy guy. He comes in a great change of pace player. Right. But I don't really know if he can keep that change of pace style for a sustained period of time like when you put patty mills in the starting lineup in my opinion with the spurs he's good for like you know 10 let's say 15 games after that his effectiveness is worn out because he plays that same running around endless screens hitting big threes and playing defense you know full quarter most of the way you can't sustain that for a long time or at least not a player like mills same with as harrell i'm not sure if he can keep that going on because if you give a guy who plays that type of way that many consistent extended minutes, you usually get diminishing returns. One night you'll get a good, you know, 25, 30 minutes. The next night you'll get something less. So that's something I'm interested in seeing. I mean, I can go down the list. Even Bobon, man. <laughs> Bobon is skilled, man. I mean, if he was in the game, not let's say, well, not five years, let's say 10, 15 years ago, he'd probably just stay on the floor. Like, you know, like um, I'm trying to think of like Brian Reeves, Big Country, or Mark Eaton back in the 80s, or other guys who, who were actual stiffs but could still stand on the floor. Bowman's no stiff. He's skilled, man. He can get up. He can get down. And, I mean, and, he don't have to get up much at 7-3. <laughs> I mean, and they've got the Bobby and Toby show going on uh, on oh social media. So that duo has to be a package um, in, in any trades or any free agency moves. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so I mean, like you know, like we just heard, like, there's just so many players you could talk about, and that that kind of speaks to the depth. Um, I mean, just quickly, I, I I mean, Lou Williams' season last year was kind of just absurd, and now that I'm looking at it, I mean, 22 and a half points per game, 5.3 assists per game, um, you know, career year um, almost nearly across the board. Not you know, not shooting wise, um, his efficiency was better than in previous years. Um, I mean he just provided so much for that team last year. And I, again, I, I'll be interested to see if again, if he's, if he's in the running for six men of the year, if he can put up, you know, somewhat similar numbers, because again, a big reason why was because of, you know, Beverly went down, you know, Bradley was missing a lot of time. So he had such a huge role on this team, especially for offensive creation. If this team stays healthy, I think his numbers will go down a little bit, but again, he, he could still contribute off the bench for sure. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I love, I love Montrezl Harrell. I mean, I was so upset when the Rockets gave him up, gave up, um, Harold in that in that Chris Paul trade, obviously, obviously it worked out for, for them. But like, <laughs> I mean, you almost went to the finals. I mean, I mean it also. I mean, it also worked out for Harold too because he he still at that point was still the third string center behind Nene. Now he quickly would have passed Nene on the depth chart um, and become the, the second string center. But there was a there was a, a potential 
possibility with Gortat aging and, and probably being gone after this year that Harrell is their center, is their starting center, you know, as soon as even like maybe the change happens during this season, during this regular season or even next year, because he is under contract next year for $6 million. So if you can get him a, a starting center, that's a good value. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. You know, his energy is his rim running abilities. He has a little, he's a little bit of a, a craftier finisher. I think that most people would expect. I mean, for his career, he shoots 74% from within three feet um, for a guy who wasn't known for his offensive touch coming into the league. So I definitely like what he brings to the table. I think another storyline that I've identified is that it, it will be contract years for several of their players. Obviously, the big one is Tobias Harris. You know, the question of can he take another step in his development? Because last season, once he joined the Clippers uh, in like the 30 games or so uh, that he played with them, he put up 19.3 points, 6 rebounds, and 3.1 assists per game while hitting uh, nearly 41.5% of his three-pointers. Like, those are those are some Harrison really strong numbers. Those are no, some I'm really playing. strong <laughs> Those are, I mean, low key though, nineteen point six rebounds is what is what Harrison Barnes does. Um, doesn't really provide doesn't provide you the floor spacing, but um, yeah. but really <laughs> under the under those under that surface of the of the really strong box score statistics, he had a, a negative six point two net rating um, when he was on the floor. The defense, the team's defense, was five point three points per one hundred possessions worse with him on the floor. And obviously, he's not known for his defense. I wouldn't say he's really, really bad, but he's definitely not a positive on that end of the floor. So it's really about him taking another step offensively to counteract. I mean, if he can improve defensively, that's obviously what you would want, but you can't really expect that. I feel, I feel like at this point in his development, he's not going to become a solid defender. Um, the effort you know, comes and goes, and maybe on a, on a team that's like really competitive, he'll be better. Um, but really, you want to hope that he can take another step offensively to get up to like 22 points a game, six rebounds, three and a half, maybe four assists per game with the ball in his hands a little bit more, still hitting 40% or at least like above 38% of his threes. You want to hope he takes another step offensively to counteract those defensive limitations um, because obviously he's going to look for, he's going to obviously look to, you know, win, but he's going to look to put up his similar numbers, if not better numbers and be hopefully a little bit more of an impactful player. Because like you said, the Clippers offered him, I think it was like five years, 80. Um, yeah. he turned it down. I think that he's wanting, he wants like a max contract and there are teams with money next summer. And I feel like there could be a team that I wouldn't say it gets tricked, but I feel like there would be a team that would fall in love with Tobias Harris. I mean, I like Tobias Harris a lot as a player. Um, yeah, me too. But should they pay him that money? Like, for like, would you pay him more or much more than five years, eighty million? Like that to me, looking on it now, having given some time, that's the ideal contract for a player like Tobias. I think he's still getting you know a good pay, but you're betting on you're you're kind of betting low on a ceiling. So if he doesn't really perform up to that level. Then fine, you know, you you tried to get money, but would you rather do a drastic overpay and see unrealized ability? I mean, I mean or untapped potential, I guess. Yeah, I, I need to, I need to see it. That's what, exactly why I need to see it for another year. Like, if he can put up, if he can go out there this season and put up twenty two six and you know four per game while shooting a like uh, an elite three point percentage, That's you know, old. I feel like I would be comfortable at that point um, paying him close to twenty million dollars a year. Um, for that time, type of offensive creation, especially if he's going to be like the second option. Um, if you're like a mediocre team that's looking to pay him that kind of money to be a primary option, you're just you're you're putting yourself right in the mediocrity for the future. I mean, depending on what kind of other pieces you have around him, but you know him taking that kind of money to be the main player on your team, the main option, that would be concerning. But if you have the money to make him that second option or even a third option somehow um, at a, at a pretty good price, uh, with if he can take another step offensively, I think the defensive concerns are warranted. But we've seen a lot of teams that can build around a poor defender. Um, you know, I feel like James Harden's a worse defender than Tobias Harris, and obviously he's a much, much better offensive player. But you can still craft. I mean, the Rockets last year had the 
six-pass defense with Harden playing serious minutes. So you can craft a, a solid defense around a bad defender, especially one at you know the power forward position. So again, I, I had to see him put up better numbers. Uh, or at least another year of those numbers and be a little bit more impactful, you know, in terms of his net rating and contributing to winning before I would be comfortable paying him that kind of money. But, you know, it's not only him. Beverly is facing a contract year. Avery Bradley potentially could be because his second year is a team option. So if he plays well, they'll probably accept that team option. I think it's $12 million, uh, $12 million team option. Um, if he doesn't play that well, not only are they going to decline that team option probably, but he's going to be, you know, on the outside looking in in terms of 2019 free agency when there are a lot of free agents um, and a lot of teams have money, but again, there will be a lot of people ahead of him on teams pecking orders in terms of upcoming unrestricted free agents. So again, a lot of guys with contract years, some in different stages of their careers, some are future players, some are role players, but how does that impact a team, a team unit looking to play team basketball to contribute to winning. Um, that's all up to Doc Over Rivers. Over under transition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's up to Doc Rivers. That's up to just the guys themselves, their personalities, and, and putting the team a little bit above their personal stats and numbers. But I feel like that always sometimes will creep into a guy's mind in terms of if I put up this kind of numbers on the surface, you know, my agent can take that to a, to a team and be like, pay me this kind of money. So I think that's another key storyline that we have to watch for this Clippers team that's really deep but has a lot of guys facing uncertain futures. Exactly. I have one more, you know, side question to ask you. What do you think about my Montrez Harrell, Patty Mills theory there? You didn't have a comment. I don't know if you were being tactful or if you kind of disagreed or what were you thinking about? Did you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I definitely see what Am you're I saying. Am I onto something? I, I yeah. definitely think you are. And, and the question, I mean, it's tough, it's tough with Harrell because – I mean, I want to look this up just again, the specific number. He has started 18 games so far in his career. He's played 173 (laughs) games, and he started 18 of them. He's never played more than 18.3 minutes per game, um, which, interestingly enough, he actually played more minutes two years ago in Houston than he did last year with the Clippers, despite being more effective. Um, But, (laughs) I mean, that's interesting. But, listen, I want to see him jump up from 17 minutes a game last season with the Clippers, I want to see him playing in, you know, 25 minutes a game, especially with Gortat aging. He's definitely their backup center at this point. He's more established. Last year, he put up 11 points, four rebounds in those 17 minutes per game. You know, good, good efficiency. Um, the concern with him as a starter, beyond the fact that his, his energy and potential, you know, effects of what he brings to the table might wear down if he plays more minutes and starts on a nightly basis, which again, you could look at a guy like Patrick Beverly, who that isn't the case. I mean, every night, you know, he's pretty much bringing that kind of energy. Um, that and that's true. kind of the way he got into the league. Harrell was the same way. Drafted early in the second round, basically all because of his energy and, you know, his mobility and his unique, you know, undersized, you know, frame at the center position. But my main concern beyond the energy component that you brought up is is the rebounding. Um, per 36 minutes last year, he only averaged 8.5 rebounds per 36 minutes, which obviously is not good. And he's not going to play 36 minutes. So the rebounding, if you, if you started him with a guy like Tobias Harris in the front court, um, you are in trouble on, on the boards. I mean, that could, that projects to be the worst, <laughs> the worst rebounding front court in the NBA, I think off the top of my head. Um, oh, yeah, that's so, you know, Beverly is a good rebounder for a guard. Um, Galinari can contribute here or there, but he doesn't really like to get physical on the boards. So, you know, that's the main concern. You know, I, I don't have as many concerns as you do in terms of his energy and, you know, his specific skills and what he brings to the table being worn out as a starter. Um, I just, I have more concerns about his actual game of being able to hang on the defensive glass um, and, you know, what he provides in terms of screen setting because Gortat, they're going to benefit. The Clippers' young guards are going to benefit a lot by playing with Gortat, who's regular, annually the, you know, one of the best screeners in the NBA. So those are my concerns. I do, I do 
I think that it's a unique uh, comparison that you brought up, and, and it kind of makes sense in some cases in terms of mm-hmm. players that just are better suited to not start, even though they, even though it feels like every time they come in, they should be starting. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I do, I do agree. But I think that he could start. But my main concern is actually what he does on the floor in terms of his rebounding. That that would be really troublesome for them. Yeah, I get that. You know, I appreciate you giving me some uh, a little fresh set of eyes and ears on that one. So, um, what are you are you taking the over or the under on on these Clippers? So they're they're over under thirty seven and a half, and I'm going the over slightly. Um, I think that there's too much depth and, and somewhat quality talent, you know, throughout this roster, and I think that Doc Rivers did a nice job last year and can continue to do a nice job with this kind of under underrated kind of. Um, not disrespected, but like you know, no one's talking about us kind of mentality roster. I could see I'm them, hero. Uh, yeah, I could see them being anywhere from like thirty-eight to forty-three wins. I think that the under definitely is a, is a possibility. Like, I feel like if someone picks the under, it's totally reasonable, especially due to injuries and, and the lack of like true top-tier talent to carry you on a nightly basis. Like, it's always nice to talk about how much depth the team has, but if they don't have the stars, stars are what really drive wins in the NBA. And unless Tobias Harris makes a, a you know, significant jump to being an all-star. They don't have that on this roster. So I think I'll take the over because I feel like hopefully they have a little bit more injury luck and their depth can carry them through the grind of 82 games and solid coaching and just catching some teams off guard. Um, I think they'll probably win like 40 wins. I think they'll probably have 40 wins this year or something like that. Um, I could see they're anywhere up to 43 wins. I could see them lower than 37 and a half and, and the under, but I'm going to take the over because of their depth, their coaching, and this kind of consistent talent base that they have throughout the roster. Okay, so you know how you just mentioned if someone took the under, it'd be perfectly reasonable? <laughs> I'm, I'm totally glad that you did because that's what I'm taking. Ideally, I'd rather just break even on them and say they're going to finish the same 37 because I do like the talent here. I like you know, the, the players and all, but I definitely see injuries playing as a significant factor, mostly because in most of their history it has. So I do think, you know, we already talked about Patrick Beverly and Danilo Garnari going down, um, Martian Gortat aging, Lou Williams, a lot of, you know, not really spoken about, but there's some pressure on him to, you know, to play like a star in the making or to perform like one, not only for his contract, but really to raise the ceiling of this team, which doesn't really have that standout guy. I can see a couple of injuries coming in for certain, and, um, you know, if it's to a few key players, then I can see him, you know, throwing everything awry. So I'm going to take, take the under, although they could easily clear the over. I'm going to say they take 36 through 38 range, ideally. So that that brings up another key thing and a reason why the under is definitely reasonable is the fact that if this team does get injured quite a bit or just, you know, straight up struggles on a nightly basis, you know, if they're out of it by the trade deadline, do they look to move their veterans? Because they've got some I players like <laughs> that could help other teams. Uh, I know their owner, Steve Ballmer, has resisted rebuilding and, you know, doesn't want to tear it down and everything like that. They kind of want to rebuild on the fly, which is what they're starting to do right now. But if this team, I feel like if this team looks destined for mediocrity this season and are just straight up just, you know, putting all their, you know, eggs in one basket of free agency next summer and, you know, looking at being a main target for Kawhi Leonard or something like Jimmy Butler or something like that, that could be troublesome for them. So I wonder if, um, do they, you know, if they're out of it by the trade deadline, do they just move their veterans and focus on their young guys like Gilgis Alexander, Robinson, uh, et cetera. Um, and that's another reason why I could totally see that. Like I said, I think the under is extremely reasonable. 
I'm just somewhat banking on them staying a little bit healthier and, and, and their depth kind of winning out on a somewhat on a nightly, nightly basis. And, you know, Doc Rivers, again, using that same kind of coaching method he did last year. Hope maybe they can find more guys off the street uh, like Ty Wallace, C.J. Williams that, you know, are somewhat somehow really helpful for them. But I feel like we spent a lot of time on the Clippers. I mean, we, we've been going on them we for did. like 20 minutes. Let's move on to the other L.A. Oh team. Oh, <laughs> L.A. team that had quite a lot of changes in the offseason. That's the Lakers, of course. Mm. They added... The headlining signing, obviously, bringing in a, a really Ooh. physical presence like JaVale McGee. Um, and, and <laughs> <laughs> oh, they played right along with that, too. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, Lance Stevenson, um, you know, Mike Beasley, Rajon Ronda, and, of course, this guy, LeBron James. Um, so before we get to what they'll look like on this um, this season – you know, it's it's hard to say. It's hard to point out what they were last season and using that as kind of a benchmark. They were 23rd offensively and 14th defensively. Interestingly enough, they had the point differential of a 38 win team last year, even though they only won um, 35 wins. So a little bit of an unlucky team there. Um, but the storylines really, I mean, the main one I feel like is like this. It's like the LeBron and, and the weird misfit collection of role players. Um, I think that there are big question marks for this team, especially in the front court um, and, and, you know, specifically at center. I mean, how often are they going to go to these small ball lineups with LeBron or Kyle Kuzma at the five? That's a question mark because their roster, I mean, their depth chart right now is McGee, um, Ivac Zubac, and Mo Wagner, you know, projected to be at center. And Mo Wagner, probably not going to play. Zubac, you're not going to really count on. And McGee always feels like, feels like he can never play more than, like, 20 minutes a game anyways. So they're going to have minutes to fill at center. And, man, I really would have loved Brook Lopez on this team this year just because of the shooting he can provide and just being another body at center. Um, my other question on this roster is the, is the shooting. Um, because, you know, the only real above-average shooters on this roster are KCP, Josh Hart, Kuzma, Ingram, who only shot – he shot less than two attempts per game last season, so it's like kind of like a weird – you know, he shot like I think over 38%, but it was on less than two attempts per game, so he's got to get that volume up. And then LeBron, um, who I think was around 36.5% last year. Obviously, Lonzo Ball can and should improve, um, but there could be room for other guys to regress in terms of their percentage – um, and what their volume going to be like. Last year, they were 18th in three-pointers attempted per game and just abysmal 29th in percentage as a team. So shooting is a question mark. Again, Brook Lopez would have been perfect as a center that could also shoot. Um, but those are my two question marks for this roster. Like, obviously, behind the glamour of LeBron James and behind the tantalizing talent of their young players and even some of their solid veteran role players that they brought in, there are question marks in the front court and um, uh, in terms of floor spacing, which, again... It, it's it's a team that's built much differently than previous LeBron James teams, especially those you know couple, last couple of years in Cleveland, which is which is why the the Lakers this season are so fascinating to me because this other question and this is another storyline that I've identified is how are they going to play? Because obviously LeBron's known for playing at this slow pace where he wants to pick apart the defenses in the half court, but all indications are. And even the way they played in the preseason, even the way they played last season, they finished third in pace last season, is that they want to play fast and push it mainly because of their young talent. So the question of is, is does LeBron really buy into playing this way for the entire season? Or does he start playing this way and then we get to like the 30th game of the year and he's like, nah, I'm too old for this. Like, let me slow it down a little bit. Um, and then the other question is the, the rotational balance between playing their young guys and playing their veterans. I feel like that will also impact their pace um, because I feel like Lonzo Ball, you know, Rondo which is why I feel like Rondo is one of the better veteran offseason additions. Uh, Rondo came is coming from this Pelican scene that, like you said earlier, once Boogie Cousins went down, just like exploded in terms of their pace. They finished um, 
with the fastest pace in the league last season. Obviously, they were just running in transition up and down towards the second half of the season and in the first round when they swept the Blazers. So I like that Rondo addition because I feel like he'll actually be comfortable pushing the pace. But my question is, does LeBron really want to push the pace over the grind of an 82-game season? And how many? And this is really up to Luke Walton of, of how many times is he going to play the vets over the young guys when it comes to down to crunch time? It was a crunch time game against a potential West playoff team. Is he going with you know Lance, KCP, um, and maybe McGee at center, or is he really focused on getting his best talent on the floor? And obviously his best talent is most likely going to be the young guys, like a Hart, like a Kuzma, like a Ball, um, Ingram, and LeBron. Um, so that's, those are the two question marks and, and two key storylines that I identified. But let me, let me listen, we're talking about the Lakers. I've got to let you answer all those question marks and then rant about this team. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I, first of all, the center position is something I'm worried about. I was really, really hoping they would unlock the LeBron and the kiddos, you know, lineup with LeBron at the five. Yeah. I thought that would be a great, you know, a great kind of lineup. Um, un, I want to say unlocker, sort of like the death lineup, but just different as far as matchups. And you know LeBron at the five could just be a terror. His size, his physicality, not to mention just his perfect vision, his shooting, all of that. Surrounded by Lonzo, Kuzma, um, Josh Hart, you know, those guys. I, I, I Brandon Ingram, obviously. I, I think that would be a killer lineup. It doesn't seem like that's in the cards, at least right now. I've not seen LeBron at the five pretty much all preseason. And, you know, he's resistant to playing up. I, I think that is a thing with these stars as far as, like, you know, Carmelo's kind of gotten to the four and five more. I mean, the four and five this year, the four, the more the past two seasons, mostly because of age, and he understands that. But, I mean, LeBron still has it at the three, so I see why he'd like to stay there. Or four in select lineups, he doesn't seem to be wanting to use the five. I think if he was if he was at least less resistant to being at the five, then they would have had some lines with him there already. So far, it seems like they're going to start with um, with um, JaVale McGee at five and then go small and put um, Kyle Kuzma there, which is interesting because Kyle Kuzma built his body up. You could see it. You know, his frame's strong. He's a, he's a lot bigger in, in certain respects. For what I thought was primarily the four with the opportunity to swing to the three, not so much the five. He can do it in select lineups, but I don't know if he can take the pounding that he'll get, let's say, if he's matched up against uh, Jonas Valanciunas or or Joel Embiid or, I don't know, DeMarcus Cousins, Lord help us all. You know, a, a player of that caliber. And I'm not sure if they're going to find another another five or they're going to pick one up. I know, and this is the Laker Laker fantasy guy in me. They did have Andrew Bynum a couple of weeks ago there. Oh, God. <laughs> um, how fun would that be, though, <laughs> to bring Andrew Bynum to this cast of characters oh my God. and have him be the backup five in certain lineups? He's only 30. He's only 30. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's Javel McGee's age. I think Javel McGee might even be 31. That's not that bad. But anyway, um, I- I'm really excited. I think Josh Hart's going to be a key guy this year. He'll be the guy that really holds different starting un- units together. He has flexibility. He can guard multiple positions. He's really shown he can shoot it. I guess see him in playoff games. I like Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I really do. Um, I think he's like a J.R. Smith type, but not in the sense of, like, making mistakes. Just having the potential to be a great fit because he has a good mindset. You know, he, he plays well. A perfect shooter. He can do a little bit off the bounce. Not too much, but he's that kind of guy in my eyes. Brandon Ingram, man, this is his year. I'm really excited to see what he does here. If preseason's any... You know, indication is going to be a great year for him. He hasn't really shot the three ball well at all. I think, I don't know if he hit a three this last game, but I know through like the first three preseason games I watched of them, he was like 0 for 5 total from three. But that's because the way the Lakers have him right now, he's in constant movement. All that time, we talked about this in an earlier pod, but all that time 
of him playing point guard um, the first two years he was in L.A., just those horrible teams, really helped him now because you have another guy who's comfortable bringing the ball up and getting the team into their offense. And under Luke Walton, the Lakers are going to go up and down. It's great. And another thing, there's just so much. I had all these notes, and now I'm just kind of going off my head. <laughs> uh, Rondo and LeBron, I'm really big on that. I think he, he's – obviously, Rondo in the pre in the regular seasons iffy. In the playoffs, he definitely ups it up. In, or he definitely ups his game, in my opinion. Others, you know, just say he's waiting or whatever. Um, defensively, he's he's not really a physical player. That's not great. Shooting-wise, he shot, I think, 30, 35% the last two years, uh, albeit on limited volume. But he can he can shoot. I've seen him hit a couple of mid-range shots. He'll hit an open three now. He'll shoot it a little more often than he did. Um, him and LeBron, I think having LeBron to have another veteran who not only – is a veteran like Beasley's a veteran, a veteran like JaVale McGee's a veteran, but a veteran who is great with the young guys. That's what Rondo is. A veteran who's won a ring and played a significant role in it. That That's what Rondo has. A player whose IQ is uh, up to LeBron's as far as basketball, you know, vision and, and seeing plays before they develop and a real student of the game. I think having someone with that same mindset in Raj, in Rajon Rondo will be great for LeBron as he kind of acclimates to this to these young guys. He's, he's the older guy. He's the older star. Um, you got a young, a lot of young, unproven players. You have a lot of vets who are crazy. I'm also big, and I'm just gonna say real quick on um, Lance Stevenson. LeBron's done these bets before. He did it with Kyle, with Kyle Korver in Cleveland. He did it with Mike Miller in in um, Miami. Just players that let, they aren't as crazy as Lance Stevenson, but players that you're like, oh, okay, that might work. And then they they fit wonderfully. I think Lance is gonna be just like that. He brings an extra bit of spice, an extra bit of flair. Um, an extra bit of knuckleheadedness, but it's going to be a fun year, man. That, that's my Laker rant. Listen, I mean, if you're looking for a team with drama and intrigue that oh, will also dude, that will also be down. good, then this is your team. Like, obviously, the bad teams like that will get to it later in this division um, will provide plenty <laughs> of drama and kind of funny storylines, but they're going to be bad. If you're looking for a team that should be good and a playoff, a solid playoff team, yet also have the drama on and off the court, this is your team. Um, and what is interesting is. Like I mentioned before, this team is built, and like you kind of touched upon as well, this team is built differently than previous LeBron teams. Obviously, you know, just the, the straight-up fact that he's kind of the elder statesman of this team and that, and that leader in terms of the young guys, but really this team built on playmakers. And again, LeBron's teams in Cleveland, especially, especially last season, but even the year before a little bit, um, was light on playmakers. And so I think it was last season when, you know, during the season he was just ranting. He was like, I need another playmaker. Um, and yeah, so well, the year before too. The year before too. When they got, uh, when they got Darren Williams, oh. I think he was already – they tried out, remember uh, – Kirk Heinrich and other guards because they were really low on um, guard depth and he was like we need more playmakers uh, it's, it's a common theme with LeBron yeah and, and it's funny and so now you know they go to he goes to the Lakers and then they they bring in Rondo they bring in Lance the guys that can handle the ball and everyone's like what are they doing and then I think it was either magic I think it was magic um uh or maybe it was Rob Palenka somebody was talking uh in an article um I can't remember who wrote the article itself but they were talking about and they were like listen we know that LeBron has needed playmakers in the past and we want to build this team where he doesn't have to do everything maybe he can play in the post a little bit more maybe he can go up a size and play at the center position and get more playmakers and shooters around him so I'm very interested to see how LeBron does with a ball with a Rondo with Stevenson like you said Ingram can handle the ball as well um Kuzma can create his own shot as well so I'm interested to see how he does where he's not the only elite playmaker like Rondo's an excellent 
excellent passer. For all of his lack of defensive effort during the regular season and his <clears throat> limited shooting, um, and sometimes he can be a little bit too much of a head case um, you know, in the locker room and on the court itself, he is a, a brilliant passer, and he just knows how to pass to get people open. He's not passing when, when, the people, when his teammates are open. He's passing teammates to open shots, um, and that's something that you know, LeBron really hasn't had in recent years or, or you know, for a long time. Lonzo can also be a really great playmaker, um, so I'm interested to see how does LeBron, you know, adjust his game to a playing at a fast pace and b not having the ball in his hands all the time and actually playing off of some pretty good playmakers around him. Um, and so I'm going to kind of transition to, you know, what this team can do this season with this roster. Just assuming that they keep this roster, and you know, I don't think they'll be making any significant moves in the in, during the season because it wouldn't make sense because they can still bring in another star next summer in free agency and not have to trade any of their young players, which we talked about. I think it was you know, in the offseason of how we, we both liked that they didn't go for a Kawhi trade this summer because they can just sign him. Um, again, you know, there's, there is a risk. Like Paul George, obviously they thought they can get Paul George and then OKC got him and actually convinced him to stay. Toronto can certainly do that with Kawhi. But, uh, you know, a team now, the Lakers that have LeBron could attract a, another star, even if it's not Kawhi, while not giving up their young players and be set for current contention and you know, contention four or five years from now when the young players are finally developed. But um, do, does this team, I'll throw this question out to you, does this team with this roster have enough to get home court top four seed in the West? You know what? Uh, I'm going to say that they do. I'm going to say that they do. I, I'm not going to bet against LeBron. I think having a player of, of just all-time great, just of his caliber, still, not in his prime, but just still a very good player is enough. I These young guys... Brandon Ingram, I think, is due for a big year. Lonzo Ball is going to have adjustment of playing under Rondo. I think it's going to reach a different level. I'm high on Josh Hart this year. I'm high on um, Kyle Kuzma overcoming, you know, a sophomore slump and just going for I, I think they have enough around them with a fast style of play and maybe jumping in early and playing strong. I could see them doing it. I'm not really – I mean, uh, here's the thing. Okay, so personally, this is where I go on Corbin's opinion and not conventional <laughs> NBA theory, but – I, I, I look at Houston as taking a, a step back. I do. I just – I think that they still have to get Carmelo and, and, and get that wing rotation, you know, acclimated to just – notwithstanding preseason play, but just in general. Maybe the regular season they'll be good, so you can count them in on number two. Golden State's going to be number one in my opinion. Then Utah's there, but I really think that they're too dependent on Donovan Mitchell for my taste. OKC's good, but it really depends on how quick – Russell Westbrook comes back and how well they play off their starting schedule because in this Western Conference, you go on a slow slump. Let's say the Thunder go three and six or whatever in the first nine games. That come back to bite them in late April. I think the Lakers can go up there. What is it? I mean, ah, oh, man, now, now I'm rambling. Okay, I would I, I say I'm going to say the Lakers are there. I'm going to say that the Lakers are there. I, I kind of trust this team oddly enough. They have just enough, and, and I'm not going to be against LeBron, that I think the potential is there for them to get. Let's say top four. I think they can get home court. That is interesting. I, I don't think so. I just um, can't contextualize it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have them getting a top four seed, and uh, I have a weird feeling that you're not going to like what my over-under prediction is, but oh, we'll get to that no. in a little bit. <laughs> but listen, I think that they're going to be an extremely dangerous lower seed. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they were the fifth seed. Honestly, would I be completely shocked if they were the fourth seed? No. Would I be somewhat surprised? Yes. I think that... The holes or the concerns that I have on this roster, um, I think, are major enough. And for LeBron, that at this point, you know, isn't you know, he's obviously going to be a great offensive player, but 
and this team will improve offensively. Obviously, they were 23rd last year, so they're going to go up, certainly. Um, but what's going to happen to their defense? Because, you know, they were 14th last season. Are they going to stay as an above-average defense, considering the fact that Rondo and LeBron both coast defensively in the regular season, and Lance and Michael Beasley aren't exactly lighting people up on that end of the floor? You know, with, with their depth chart, I mean, obviously, KCP is a solid defender. Hart is a solid defender. Ingram can bother people with his length. Um, Ball can be a really, really good defender. Um, but beyond that, you've got some real, you know, liabilities. Kuzma, liability. Beasley, a liability. What does McGee do defensively in terms of rim protection? Uh, is it just kind of on the surface, like blocking shots that get on highlight reels? Or is it actually yep. making an impact in terms of defending shots at the rim? Um, so I think there could be a slippage defensively for this team, especially during the course of the regular season, come playoff time, they could turn it on and be a really good defense. Um, but I think that with this this current roster, with, with my concerns that I have with, with this roster as it stands right now i just don't see them having enough in the west um to be a top four seed when you consider the fact that you know everyone's like oh lebron had so much success with the Cavs. they even won 50 games last year with all that turmoil and that kind of somewhat mediocre roster um but that was in the east i mean that that's playing some bad teams on a really night night to night basis like the Cavs, you know last year could have like been on a six game losing streak and they would have had you know a week where they played the magic and the Knicks and the Hawks and uh, the the Nets all in one <laughs> week. Like this year in this conference, I mean, the only two teams that are going to be bad in this Western Conference, like really bad, are the two teams we're going to talk to later about. Like, talk to about later, uh, Phoenix and Sacramento. Like every night in the West, most teams will give them at least somewhat of a fight. Like, they're going to be some mediocre teams, but they're probably going to be like at least ten teams in the West that could win like forty games. So I think that. You, you couple all those factors for me personally, uh, and I have too many con- questions about this roster or, or concerns, I should say, to pick them to be a top four seed. Um, is this when we get to the over under? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're far too rational, Eric. I hate it. God, yeah, let's get to the over under. <laughs> so it is set at forty seven and a half, and uh, like I already said, I think that you're oh not going to like gosh. where I'm going with this one. I see them winning forty seven games, so I have them being the under. I mean, if if the I technically it's barely um, like if it was at 46 and a half, I'd have them be the over, but I, I have them winning 47 games. Um, I think that, you know, I think after thinking about the roster a little bit more in terms of the concerns that I have, and like I just said, how they're not going to have as many pushover games in their conference, like the Cavs did and LeBron's had recently in the East. I just see them straight smack dab at 47 wins, um, a very comfortable playoff team and a very dangerous first round team that, Really wouldn't surprise me, especially you never count out LeBron James if they won their first run series as an underdog. But mm-hmm. I see them at forty-seven wins. Wow, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted, shocked. I'm even more incoherent than I was when I tried to defend the Lakers to the top four <laughs> seed. Um, I'm blasting that over, man. If there was a button, I'd be mashing it. Fifty wins. That's what I think. We're gonna get fifty-two, and I say we because I'm fandom again. No, I think that. I'm just very excited on the potential of this Lakers team. It's weird and wacky enough that it just might work. You know, it's so crazy. It just might work. That's where I'm at with these Lakers. I think, you know, they could easily go 45. I think that's as high as they are. When LeBron comes to a team, I I don't remember this exact statistic, but he's basically good for a good 15, 20 wins. Increase. Not by himself, but just increase. So I, I guess it is by himself. But, I think what the Lakers had thirty plus this past season. I, I could definitely see them getting fifty. I, I I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, LeBron plus a, a really interesting team. And again, the thing with young players is that you know it's always like these guys are going to take a step up. But sometimes a young player just makes a huge leap, 
And then, you know, that changes the whole trajectory of the, of the entire team. Like, if Ball can develop uh, to become an above-average three-point shooter this season and provide the defense that he can provide and the playmaker. Like, if, he, if someone could take a step up, whether it's an Ingram or a Ball, I think they're the two likely candidates. Um, that could obviously change the trajectory. I, th- I feel like I'm just estimating, like, m- normal improvement. You know, sometimes it, it, it happens quicker for certain young players, so it's hard to predict. But, all right. I think we spent enough times. You know, now, unfortunately, we get to the point of this division where we have to get into the uh, mediocre and poorly run franchises, uh, and we'll start Do with Do we that. have to? <laughs> yeah, we have to be fair. We have to preview every team. Uh, so let's get to the Phoenix Suns. So their offseason was fairly eventful. Um, obviously, number one pick drafted DeAndre Ayton. Um, they drafted Mikhail Bridges, and in, they actually traded for him by using that Miami first-round pick in 2021, which most likely will be a very valuable trade asset. Um, <laughs> right. Um, they signed Trevor Reza in free agency. They traded for Ryan Anderson and DeAnthony Melton um, with the Rockets, and they also ended up trading for Rashawn Holmes from the Sixers. Remarkably, they were 30th on both ends of the floor last season, um, and they had the point differential of an 18 win team, which you, when you consider the fact that they actually won 21 games, they were pretty lucky um, based on their point differential. So, storylines. I think the number one place to start here is, is just point guard, like question mark. Like, there isn't really a set point guard on this roster still. I think all indications at this point are that Devin Booker will be shifted to playing that kind of point guard, basically be the James Harden um, before James Harden really, you know, showcased his elite playmaking. Like, James Harden was a solid passer his first couple of years in Houston and obviously had the ball in his hands a lot. Still played that shooting guard position. And then, you know, he, Mike D'Antoni comes in, he's like, you're our point guard, dude averages 11 assists, becomes the best, one of the best passers in the league. Booker doesn't have that kind of playmaking vision and hasn't really shown any indications that he's going to be that kind of playmaker, but he can certainly find open teammates. Um, the question is, can he set up teammates to get open shots with his passing? Um, and really what, what it looks like is that that's their best option in terms of playing Booker at point guard and just playing with him a, a bunch of wings around him. I, I like D'Anthony Melton um, as a long-term option at point guard, um, basically. Oh, wow. Just from, I mean, not like a long-term, like, solid starter, but, like, if this team, I'm not talking about, like, being a good, a good starting point guard on a playoff team. I'm talking about being a, a good starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, different level of <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. evaluation there. Um, I would clarify that. Yeah, but I just... Because basically what I saw from Summer League and the, the brief scouting that I did, especially the Rockets drafted him in the second round, I saw a guy that can provide you know some some nice defensive play. Um, if he can get that shot down a little bit more consistently, he'll be a lot better offensively. But again, like I said, I don't think they're ever going to be they're ever going to reach true solid starter levels for a playoff team. They could be solid starters for the Suns. Um, and for a team, you know, for a team that's looking to be competitive this season, and one that just drafted a big man in DeAndre Ayton that needs a, a solid playmaker slash point guard to kind of feed him the ball, get him open looks, I feel like having a solid point guard seems to be pretty important for this team, and they still don't have one. And apparently, that was a key reason why Ryan McDonough was fired uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> get which out of here! <laughs> I can't say without laughing with the terms of dysfunction in terms of firing your GM after you let him go through an offseason where he made some pretty significant decisions, you know, most most notably that future Miami first-round pick. Um, so, I guess, jokes aside, you know, what? My, I guess my next storyline is what do they do on the wings slash in the front court? Because a projected starting lineup that has Booker surrounded by Jackson, Ariza, Ryan Anderson, and Ayton because um, I think they came out and said that Anderson's going to start a power forward. That forces McCall Bridges and TJ Warren into backup roles. I feel like one question mark to start off right, the, right off the bat is, 
if they can, should they look to move TJ Warren? I feel like he's a he's a, such an interesting player because he can't hit the three at all. He's a solid scorer, but he relies on the mid-range game, which is so inefficient at this point in today's modern NBA. Obviously not even a good defensive player, so he's really... The only thing he's giving you is solid mid-range scoring. Like, if you need buckets, he'll get them for you in an inefficient yeah. way. But with his contract, which... When he signed it, I didn't think it was that bad. But now that I saw him play last year in terms of what he can contribute to on defense and efficient scoring, I feel like it's a negative asset on this contract. I don't know if they can – I don't even know if they can move him. But if they can, I feel like they should look to move him just because of the younger wings that they have. I think that Mikal Bridges projects to be a really solid 3 and D wing and a perfect fit alongside a guy like Booker and – guys like Booker and Aiton. Um other question marks, like, how long is Anderson the starting four? I mean, besides the fact that he could get injured, I'm talking about, like, are they looking to just play him, or maybe they're looking to go into smaller ball lineups and put Bridges in the starting lineup and maybe move Ariza to the power forward position? Um, is this Dragon Bender's last chance at proving he belongs? He still has not looked good. In, <laughs> right? He didn't even look good in Summer League, and at that point, no, it's really as concerning. as a third player, third year. I mean, that's really, really concerning. So... I, I feel like they're beyond point guard. They have the players on the wing in the front court to fill up the minutes and, and have you know interesting skill sets here and there. But they have a lot of question marks in terms of how the rotation is going to play out beyond their mess at point guard. The, the, the fact that they have so many players that could play on the wing and in the front court, that adds even more further questions to this rotation for a team that's young and should not be competing, but I guess is trying to compete this year. I mean, it's, 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 I'm trying to just put this together, man. I'm, ah, Phoenix, man. I, I get it. It's just, they, they have front court. I'm interested in seeing their backcourt is a problem for me. You already mentioned how you think DeAnthony Melton could be a, a great starting guard. I, I mean, not a great starting guard. Great in real, in, in, in context with the fact that he's starting for Phoenix. But I, I think that they are going to, I just don't trust the Suns. I think they are going to make a bad decision either way and swing a trade and give that pick. I'm surprised it hasn't already been done. To, to, to go back to what you're saying, as far as just playing in general, it's not really a lot. For, I mean, there's not a lot for me to like. Josh Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, there's questions there for me. The guy rid of Marquise Chris, I would have questioned that as well. Having Trevor Reza, Ryan Anderson, and Tyson Chandler, those are like win now players. I, I, I don't I don't see any reason why they're like win now players for like a contender, but they're not enough to save you from tanking. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just like like th- there's a problem there. You already addressed having Devin Booker play at point guard spot, which, you know, Ariza and Anderson both play with Harden so they can envision Booker mimicking that. But that's asking Booker to go from a scorer who he's great. He can score with the best of them. All of a sudden making pinpoint passes and being a playmaker. I, I don't know. I think they he's more of a Patrick Beverly type of player alongside that. I, I, I was looking at the Suns team. You asked a question. I'm pretty sure I would still be looking at the salary cap and trying to see how to make a, a fake trade. I didn't even know what you were addressing, man. I got to get back to it. <laughs> I mean, so – like, I mean, I like you mentioned Beverly. Like, Beverly would be such a nice fit. I mean, there were rumors Perfect, that they were trying man. to trade for him, but the Clippers were asking for a first-round pick, which I would not give up for Beverly um, at this stage with the Suns team because they're not going to be comp- – even if they get Beverly, they're not even going to be close to the playoffs. Like, so I wouldn't be giving up that kind of asset. I'd be giving up, you know, second-rounders, maybe some of their low-hanging fruit in terms of players on their current roster. Um, I do have to mention that I think it's Ellie, Ellie Okobo, projects to be a solid offensive point guard. And it's interesting because, you know, Melton is mostly known for his defense and Okobo is mostly known for his offense. They have they have point guards that I feel like I like their games in a vacuum as, like, backups that can provide certain, you know, contributions on, on certain parts of the floor. Like, Okobo is, like, a more of an offensive guy. Melton's more of a defensive guy. Um, 
So they, really, they could just if they could meld all of their current point guards on the roster together, they would probably have a solid starter there. Okobo, Shaquille Harrison, D'Anthony Melton, Isaiah Cannon. If you just meld, melded all those players' skills and, and um, games together, they would probably have a solid starter next to Devin Booker. But um, of course, they but can't starting? do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, not. I mean, it's a solid starter in that. In which case, they wouldn't even be close to the playoffs still, but would be better than what. Like they need someone. Uh, Be- Be- Beverly would be perfect. Someone who can handle the ball, hit threes, and play some defense. Like because Booker has the ball in his hands a lot. He's a natural scorer. He can play make a little bit. Right. He'll get you over four assists per game with the ball in his hands that much. But if you can get another guy that can contribute, you know, four to five assists per game knock down threes at an above-average rate, and play defense. Like, that's what this team needs. I mean, it, yeah. it, that's, I just described Patrick Beverly. Um, <laughs> In a nutshell. Yeah. I, I just Okay, is it crazy? I'm just going to say this aside. Is it crazy to think that the Suns, with the moves that they made, was there any chance in your head that you thought that the Suns could have possibly made the playoffs? No. Oh, okay, well, then I'm just crazy. I thought for a second, I'm not going to lie, for a split second, I said, you know what, they, they could compete for like an eighth seed with – it's insane that I even thought that. A fleeting thought, I know. But at this point, I, I don't know. Do you trust management to make a good move? No. I mean, they got rid of Ryan McDonough. I do not trust Robert Sarver. I, 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 living in the Phoenix area, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm debating me and my best friend. One of the, We were talking about whether we should meet up to go watch the Lakers-Suns game on October 24th. And as much as I want to support L.A., do I even want to watch Phoenix? They're just, as, as an NBA fan, I don't. I don't trust them making a good move. And they have top-tier talent, but they're going to find a way to mess up. I know I'm thinking into the future here. But short-term, this is just a weird lineup. Do you? Th- I mean, honestly, as, as you know, you're not competing for a playoff spot, so start the Anthony Melton. You have Elia Kobo. Those are two young players you can start with. Why are you pushing to make a trade for a, 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 a player like, you know, a player that they think is going to make Patrick Beverly, I think, would be a great player to set the culture, to, to add that defensive presence. But you know Robert Sarver, and he would make the move. If he makes the move, he's making it because he's delusional like me and thinks the Suns have a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, you know this, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there's no – I have absolutely no faith in the management. And, you know, I think that James Jones, who could actually end up being a really good GM, but it's not the fact that he could be a good GM. It's the fact that he's always going to have to deal with Sarver, who was – who is the most active, from all reports, is the most active owner in terms of like actual basketball decisions. And it seems like, again, like we said, it seems like he's going to, he's looking to compete this season. Which, uh, no, I just have to say no. <laughs> I, it's not, I mean, gonna, it's not going to happen. I mean, you had a fool like me for a second believing it. Then I said, wait a second, Corbin, stop Cor- the smell and salt. Corbin, like, let you know me, let's do a, I'll do an intervention right now on the podcast. <laughs> you, have to, you have to take it. Take a, a deep breath, uh, sit back, and on your screen, just pull out the Phoenix Suns death chart, and we will have to run through this because Devin When Booker, I zoned out, I was looking at it. Let me look again. <laughs> Devin Booker is, is a very good offensive player, very good scorer, somewhat of a decent playmaker. Not only, like you said, is he thrusted into a role where playmaking is a big part of his game this year, but he's bad. He's really bad defensively. Let, let's start there. I mean, I got to point out all the negatives to make sure that you know that they're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> Devin Booker, wow. really bad yep. defensively. Point guards behind him, suspect. You know, on either you know, in terms of youth and experience, and just not you know, well-rounded players that can contribute on you know both ends of the floor on a consistent basis. If they can even be positive players on their preferred side of the floor, like even if Melton, Melton and Okobo, right? They could be good players in the long run, but rookie point guards almost are never good in the NBA. Let's take it to the other positions. Josh Jackson, a lot of question marks. Not only is the shooting a huge question mark, his shot selection is a question mark. His defense wasn't, you know, where I thought it was going to be coming out. Like, he could be a good defender moving forward, but playing him at shooting guard, that's going to cramp your floor spacing. 
Um, Troy Daniels, he's a shooter behind him, doesn't do anything defensively. Trevor Ariza, solid veteran. Defense is still solid. Shooting is, is solid, but not elite. He's like slightly above league average at this point in his career. His defense is basically slightly above league average at this point in his career. And you take him off a team that was competing last year for a team with Phoenix that's going to be not good. Does that in, you know? How does that impact his motivation levels? I mean, you don't want to say that he's not going to try as hard, but you know, a guy like Trevor Reza who's won a championship, just coming off a deep playoff run, Game Seven of the Western Conference Finals. I don't think he's going to be as engaged. TJ Warren already talked about him, the concerns of him being a bad defender and an inefficient scorer. Mikhail Bridges, I like him. I think he's going to be really, I think he's going to be solid this year as a 3 and D contributor. Off-ball shooter, doesn't need the ball in his hands that much, can provide some defense. But again, he's a rookie. So rookies almost never contribute to winning. Ryan Anderson is just there to shoot the ball and provide nothing defensively. Bender looks like he's going to be out of the league next year. Uh, De- <laughs> DeAndre Ayton can be good. And mm-hmm. this is something we haven't even talked about is just like the decision to draft Aiton. I know we talked about it, you know, in earlier podcasts, but he'll be, I think he's going to be good. I think what I saw from the preseason and some of summer league, he's going to be good. I think that their new coach, Igor Kokoskov is going to be putting him in the right situation. But again, this is the big man that really big men need good point guards to set them up. Um, whether it be throwing entry post entry passes into the post for him, lobs, alley threats, or just other players around him spacing the floor enough for him to have room to operate, that could be a concern. And again, he's a rookie, so probably not going to contribute to winning. Tyson Chandler, solid veteran, solid presence, um, stabilizing presence. But at this point, was he 35? You're not going to rely on him to play heavy minutes on a regular basis. And Holmes, as much as I liked him as a spot guy, as an energy guy, he was what. We all thought we all, he was what we all think Montrez Harrell is now. Like a couple of years ago, we thought that he could be mm-hmm. that spot guy providing energy off the bench. Um, really inconsistent. Seems to make dumbheaded, boneheaded plays. And how much playing time does he get behind Aiton and Chandler, and even small ball lineups if they go to Bet Anderson at center? So I just ran through the entire roster to go all through all the negatives. Uh, now, do you still think they make the playoffs? <laughs> hell no! I hate to say that, but no way. And I want to thank you. You know, Eric, if, if if covering basketball, you know, media doesn't work out for you, you'd make a great counselor. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Wow. I have this recorded, I, so I can send it in as a tape for my uh, some application for a potential counseling job. There you go. And I'll tell you what the reason was. I'll tell you why I even thought this. Here in Arizona, it's just starting to cool down now in October, but it's been hot as I don't know what the last, you know, the summer uh, triple digits for the greater part of June and July. I think that he got to me and, <laughs> and, and really had me going a little loopy there, you know. So thank you for waking me up. I think right about TJ Warren, you know, Dragon Bender, I was like, wait a second, Corbin. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Sometimes <laughs> – some, listen, I, I get that. That he can really get to you sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> th- there are some real problems on this roster, and the fact that you you never know if management's going to sacrifice the future for a short-sighted move. Again, I, I didn't even mention that they're playing in the West, which will probably take forty for at least forty-five wins to make the playoffs, if not more. I mean, last season it took I think forty-seven, so you know that adds a whole other wrinkle. Like maybe in the East they could be like a ninth or tenth seed. But in the West, they're going to be bottom. Like they're going to be bottom feeder. So with that being said, I think it's pretty clear that I'm taking the under on their 29 over under. Um, listen, I think they're going to be better, um, right? They added talent. No matter how young you know their guys like Aiton and Bridges are and Melton and Okobo are, they're going to be better. I think that Ariza and Anderson can contribute as veterans and everything like that, even if they're traded or whatever or bought out if Ariza's like bought out <laughs> during the regular season. But as I just went through... 
too many question marks on this roster. And in the West, I feel like they're just going to end up somewhere around, you know, like 26 to 28 wins. I feel like 28 wins might be a little bit too optimistic for this team. I feel like they're going to win like 26 games this year. Uh, I, you know what? And, and this is why we, we call this a training camp. Listeners, this is why we call this a training camp. Mm-hmm. This is why we've attacked this to get all of these crazy takes and outlandish, you know, rambling out of my system. Because in this wild sprawl, I've rambled about the Suns incoherently. I said that I thought at a the moment they might make the playoffs. And now I'm taking the under so under it's insane. All thanks to a five-minute Eric Spropolis intervention. Uh, you're not going to get this kind of content in the regular season, right? <laughs> and, and so with that being said, I'm definitely taking the under. I don't know what I was thinking. It, it, it's just, uh, yeah. It's a lot going on in Phoenix. A little of it very good. It'll be interesting to see DeAndre Ayton's development and how he meshes with Devin Book when Devin Book comes back. And uh, that's all, folks. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have to get to an even worse no, team. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, listen. Okay, so let's just go to the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> okay. Um their offseason, they drafted Marvin Bagley, which I will get to in a second. Um, and they signed Yogi Ferrell and Nemanja Bielitsa, two veterans that could contribute, but again, adds so many more questions to their rotation. Uh, looking at their team last season, 29th offense, 28th defense. They had the point differential of a 22-win team, so and they actually won 27 games. So you consider the fact that their point differential is a 22-win team, and that's kind of more of the baseline of what we're evaluating them on for this season. The storylines that I identified... Number one, I mean, it's just bigs, bigs, and more bigs on this roster. I mean, you just look at their front court depth. I mean, it's Bagley, Zebo, you got Scalabistier, Bielitsa, Willie Cauley-Stein, Harry Giles, Costa Kufus. All of those players should be playing at the four or the five position. Some of them are not going to play at all most, most nights. Like Randolph, probably going to get a huge decrease in his minutes. Mid his minutes. Um, because obviously veterans are the least priority, or you would hope. <laughs> Let's not put anything past the Kings, but um, you would hope that it's the least priority that like guys like Zebo and Kufos are getting minutes. But you still have to play. You still have to split up the playing time among those young bigs. Um, and this is just a side note. I, I secretly want a team to just steal Scal away in a trade, like just throw the Kings like a twenty twenty one second round pick and some cash for Scala this year. I just like his game as a modern kind of offensive five with his skill set and could be used so much better than Sacramento has used him. But that's another rant for another day. Um, oh, yeah. Vlade wouldn't even take it without a 30-year-old aging vet. <laughs> that's or true. a 30-something aging vet. You have to close the deal. That's true. Um, so, but this is, a, this is where I feel like I get to just talk about drafting Bagley. I mean, I feel like drafting Bagley over Luka Doncic will turn out to be just an infamous decision down the road in terms of being you know, a, a turning, uh, not a turning point, a, a point where we look back and say, why did the Kings continue to suck while a team like the Mavericks, you know, got back to being in contention, you know, two years from now? Oh, it's because the, the Kings drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic? <laughs> oh, that's why. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, with the way the NBA continues to evolve and put an emphasis on wings, and, you know, one, Doncic obviously is one with elite offensive potential and abilities, the move to draft Bagley and what we've seen from him and what we saw from him at Duke and in Summer League and just his game and his style of play, it makes no sense to draft him, I think, at number two. Um, I just think that he doesn't project to be good defensively. He doesn't project to be, you know, offensively a guy that's going to be good enough to be a featured player, um, like with the ball in his hands and initiating everything like that. Like, where what what is his fit on a good team in the modern NBA. It's probably at center, um, which again, are they going to 
move him at center where they got Willie Colley Stein. They've still got Harry Giles, who actually showed a lot of promise in summer league and summer preseason, um, and is actually going to be going into his rookie year because he missed all of last season kind of as a redshirt year. But I feel like when you, you could have added Doncic with his playmaking abilities and his scoring abilities on the wing in, in today's modern NBA. It would have been so much better than drafting Bagley to a front court that has Willie Cully Stein, that has Giles, that has Scala this year. Um, and then you add Bielitsa as a veteran who could who should soak up minutes. Are they going to play Bielitsa at the small forward position? Because I don't think that's going to work for them defensively. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's my main storyline in terms of their big, their front court depth and a little bit of a rant in terms of Bagley over, choosing Bagley over Doncic. And my second storyline is which of their young players continue their development? I feel like the ex- expectation is to see more from De'Aaron Fox, who obviously can be electrifying. But last season, he had a, a negative, oh, I should have minus 5.4 net rating. Um, and the defense and the offense were both worse when he was on the floor. Which, again, I don't want to you know point that out there because that's expected from rookie point guards. Like Rookie point guards put up numbers and, and get on highlight reels, but they usually suck in terms of like contributing to actual wins um, and, and winning basketball. So that's kind of expected. Fox is an interesting player. I, I still, I, I think that, I like his I athletic- like Fox. Me too. I like his athleticism and his defensive potential and the energy he provides. I ha- still have concerns about his playmaking, his court vision, and his shooting. So, you know, I feel like with him, he can project to be a good starting point guard, but it's going to be hard to do it without surrounding him with the right pieces. Um, and so, you know, looking at. Bogdanovich, Bogdan Bogdanovich, is he still their best player this season? Because last season he pretty much was. I mean, it's, maybe you can debate that Buddy Hill was, you know, had a solid season as well. Um, does he take another step up? I think he's 24 now, uh, maybe turning 25. So there's a question mark there. And Buddy Heald, I mean, he quietly had a solid season last year. He had a positive 6.4 net rating. Um, and he improved the offense and the defense when he was on the floor. Shot 43% on threes, which, again, with this roster, with how many bigs they're going to play, and the lack of shooting they get, they got from a guy like Fox, <clears throat> they're gonna yeah. need, they're gonna need Buddy Heald shooting a lot on this team. So, I want my question mark beyond how their front court rotation, their front court depth chart and rotation plays out, is which of their young players continue to develop, and most importantly, can Fox take another step as a leader and actually contribute to winning basketball? It's a little bit of a rant, but all my those are basically all my thoughts on the Kings this year. Oh, you have even more thoughts than I do. That, that, and compared to some of my rants, that was fine, Eric. You need to rant more. It's it's perfect. Get into the game. It's fine. Um, yeah, Buddy Hield, ceiling man. I I don't know. He's seems more to me like a specialist. There was a brief moment, even when he was drafted by the Pelicans, I thought you know he's a little older as a rookie and therefore since limited. I didn't see much out of him other than you know a little bit of shooting and maybe minor creation, minor um handling on the ball. But having seen this past year in Sacramento, I think we have basically who he is. Um, Bodama Janovich was their best player, in my opinion, last year. Uh, Marvin Bagley, I don't really have too much to say about him, except that, I mean, it's just a weird... Sacramento makes the wrong moves. They have them for the past 10 years. Um, Marvin Bagley and a fit there is just weird. Willie Cauley-Stein looks like a career backup, in my opinion. He's great. Like, he's productive. He's he's had... I don't know. He has energy. He can move around. He, he looks productive. But, like, he's had every opportunity over the past couple of years, and I haven't seen anything. I don't know if you have, and I'm dismissing it, but um, I'm not going to lie and say I watch a whole lot of Sacramento. But every time I do, I just go, wow, like, okay. You know, he, he's a fine player, but, but you know, a fine backup. That's all. It's just a weird mix of talent that, in my opinion, aside from De'Aaron Fox and maybe Marvin Bagley, I am going to give him a chance, are, are low upside players. 
Yeah, I agree. Also, Willie Cauley-Stein has never had a positive net rating. In his Another NBA player like that. Wow. So, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was saying, uh, you probably don't remember, but you brought up there was another player we did in another, uh, one of our previews. I think it was last week. Another player who hasn't had a positive net rating um, in their career so far. It was Zach Levine and Jabari Parker. There, look at that. Look at this. is the all-star <laughs> negative net rating. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I have a little bit more. I have a couple more thoughts, I guess, on the Kings. My question is <laughs> okay. uh, surprising. Yeah. How did, I'm wondering how this rotation is going to play out because – I feel like this is going to be a team that goes against how the NBA is evolving. Like, I feel like they're going to go to like dual big lineups more than they do to small ball. Like, I feel like we're going to see lineups that have um, like Bielitsa at the at the three with Bagley and Collie Stein together, um, or like a Randolph and a Harry Giles together. Or you know, I feel like they've got so many guys like Bagley, Labissiere should be centers like in, moving forward in their careers with the way the NBA is evolving. But, of course, Collie Stein and Giles are going to take up a lot of those minutes as well. So mm-hmm. that's going to shift everyone down a position. So while everyone's going to small ball and floor spacing, I feel like this team's going to have – I mean, look at their starting lineup. I mean, projected starting lineup like, of, of a Fox, a Buddy Heald, a Bogdanovich, though he's injured for, I think, like six weeks, um, a Bagley and a Collie Stein. There was just no shooting there beyond Buddy Heald, really. Um, and, you know, Bogdanovich can shoot a little bit. If they start Justin Jackson, he can shoot a little bit. But Elitza can shoot. But, you know, how do they get more shooting on the floor? I, I mean, ideally, you would hope that they would want to because last season they were 28th in three-pointers attempted, though they actually finished third in percentage as a team. Um, so, listen, I think it's going to come down to Buddy Heald, Bielitsa, Bogdanovich, and Yogi Ferrell. I mean, those four players are going to be really key to getting floor spacing around their young bigs like a Bagley and a Giles and a Collie Stein and De'Aaron Fox, who's handling the ball without the ability to really knock down that three-point shot. So that's my other really main question for this rotation and for this team. And with that being said, I'll move to the over-under and, and kind of you know save everyone's ears for this kind of negative talk. But their over-under is set at 26. I think it's pretty, pretty clear where I'm going with this. I've got under typed in all caps on my um, outline right now. So... I okay. think that this team is going to be, you know, right there with the Hawks for the worst team in the league. And, and at least the Hawks are going to be bad because they're, like, just throwing everything at Trey Young and John Collins and Torian Prince and maybe Kevin Horder and just saying, like, do it. Like, just play at this fast pace. See what we've got. We've got a vision in terms of getting a GM from the Warriors and kind of maybe looking to do a, a splash, the Splash Brothers, you know, of the Eastern Conference with a Young and a Herder. Um, and, you know, Collins is a small ball center or, or just a straight-up center at this point uh, in the yeah, modern yeah. NBA. Like, they got a vision, and I feel really confident in what the Hawks are doing. You know, picking <laughs> up a pick from the – picking up. A, I mean, I don't like that they passed on Doncic, but they got their guy in Young and picked up a pick from the Mavericks last next year. And they'll have the Cavs' first-round pick most likely next year. I think it's 1 through 10 protected. Um, and they have their own first-round pick. The Kings, on the other hand – just, just not much of a vision. They just like they put young player. They just draft young players. They don't really, I guess, they don't really evaluate for the tr- true talent or the fit because if they were, they would draft. They would have drafted Doncic over Bagley, who probably is easier to sell Bagley to their fans over a European like Doncic. But exactly why they probably did it, Sacramento, I mean, totally right. I mean, talent wise, you who would ra- not rather have Doncic exactly. over Bagley for their roster, just in general. Yeah, so I think they're probably going to be around you know twenty three wins this year. So I'm definitely hitting the under on the Kings. 
Yeah, uh, you don't even have to ask me, but you did, so um, I'm taking an under as well. It's just a dysfunctional franchise. It's a weird mismatch roster. Um, you were trying to figure out the rotation. My philosophy on the Kings rotation is best not to think about the Kings rotation. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to. As a basketball fan, I'm going to watch them just because I like dumpster fires. I think if we did you know, a, a League Pass um, podcast, quote, dot, 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 who knows, um, we would have to do one of like top five League Pass like dumpster fires. Oh, God. Um, just have to. Yeah. Is this the time in the podcast towards the end where I remind you that the Kings don't have their 2019 first round pick because they traded it to the 76ers? Wait, to dump salary in order to try and sign, let me say this, Rajon Rondo, Wesley Matthews, and Monte Ellis in 2015? Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Listen, I, knew the, I knew the pick, I didn't remember the reason. Uh-huh. Sometimes you cannot make this stuff up. I really, like, I mean, it's unbelievable sometimes when, when you say it out loud that they actually tried to do that in mm-hmm. 2015. Even in 2015, we knew that that was a bad idea. And now in 20, we get to 2018 and, and 2019 season with a team that, again, projects to potentially be the worst team in the league and maybe have the number one overall pick, if not a almost guaranteed top three pick. And they don't have it because in 2015, they tried to add... Monte Ellis, Wes Matthews, and Rajon Rondo to a team that, again, probably wouldn't have even made the playoffs. So, you know, bless the Kings sometimes for just giving us so so much entertainment that's not winning basketball. It's like the opposite. Um, There are teams that give you entertainment on the floor. The Kings give you all the entertainment off the floor, and we bless them for that to give us stuff to talk about on podcasts and write about in articles. Oh, yeah. I would take the over on us having a Kings segment in our podcast for the new season. (laughs) How many (laughs) times – over under how many times – over under uh, 15, I'll put it at, uh, are, the King, are the Kings or something related to the Kings are uh, something foul of the week during, during the season. Oh, you, you, you pounded that over, man. It's going to happen. <laughs> 82 games, 15? That's because light work. Say oh, less. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> oh, wow. man. All right. Well, we finally have wrapped up our division previews. So, again, <gasps> if you've missed any of them, you can check them out all on our podcast page on Blog Talk Radio. Um, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Uh, make sure to follow the 94 on Twitter. Please check out, uh, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook as well. We're ramping up the content on all of those platforms. And I feel like I should have mentioned this earlier, but we actually have a new website. <laughs> so <laughs> go to what, what? <laughs> www.the94feet.com. Uh, it's a little bit of a new look, but again, it's the same great NBA content, the same great draft slash scouting content. We've got, we're going to have a whole podcast page set up for our podcast network that will be formally revealed very soon. So check out the website, the94feet.com. Of course, if you've been following us on pretty much any social media platform, you already know we have a new website. But in case some of these listeners aren't aware with all that's going on with our with our website and our brand, check us out there. Corbin, you can ever, obviously let everyone know where they can follow you. At, at Corbin Ford NBA, y'all. And again, just another plug, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 94, we here. Okay, we are ramping up the content. So this will be our final preview episode before the season. Our next episode that comes out next week, we'll actually be reviewing and discussing real regular season NBA basketball. We have finally made it, Corbin. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, man, training camp was rough. Um, we went through the lumps. You see how we are here, but we're done. We're in. We're in fine form. I think we're gonna. We're gonna be in midseason form come the beginning of the actual season. I, I'm excited. Thank goodness we got through some horrible preseason basketball. Months of hot takes and eager anticipation for the moment that is finally upon us in less than four days. 
Absolutely. So everyone have a great week of resting up for the start of the NBA season on Tuesday. Um, we will be back next week actually talking real NBA basketball. Um, follow us on Twitter for all news of our episodes and our podcast network and our new website. Um, and take care. All right, y'all.